Fuego. I'm John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. I want to welcome you to the program. Uh, if you're listening in New York City on w, WBAI, I, uh, I welcome you, and I hope that you will support the station that, uh, that carries the program. If you're listening in Washington, D.C. on WPFW, I hope you will support that station as well. Uh, we, um, we also broadcast the, the stream the show, I should say, on Facebook Live. I have a couple of Facebook pages, uh, one with, uh, for Resistance Radio specifically, of course, my personal page, and then for my, uh, um, my podcast, which is Let's Talk Native. Uh, I also take the show and I put, I put it up as a, uh, as a podcast after, all, after, uh, after the broadcast. So, <clears throat> so there's and many ways to listen, listening live, listen after the fact, on demand, whenever. Um, but however you listen, I hope that you do support the radio stations that are really the, the foundation of this show, since it's a radio show first. Um, so I, I hope that you support these, uh, these stations. Look, I, um, we are broadcasting live in New York City today, um, and we will take some calls, so I will do that at the end of the, pr- uh, the last half hour of the program. I do have something I need to talk about. Um, first, but before I get into that, let me, let me first mention that 11 years ago today, <laughs> Uh, I was a big part of stopping the police from shutting down an Idle No More flash mob brown dance at the Galleria Mall in uh, in the Buffalo area. And, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of video of it uh, on YouTube. I, I, I posted some on my Facebook pages. You can ch- you know, check out. Um, I think I got at least one of the videos up there. Um, but it's, it's amazing that how, how time flies. Uh, it, it seems like it wasn't that long ago. But I guess the reason I, I promote this video is it demonstrates the ability to be resistant, to resist even force. And I had a little bit of a physical confrontation with the police officer. Um, and yet I was able to keep it at a level that never went out of control. I didn't get arrested. <laughs> uh, you know, cop grabbed me. I grabbed him. He shoved me. I shoved him. I stepped in his way. Uh, I had to talk him out of uh, grabbing his pepper spray off his belt. Um, and I did so by telling him to look around. There was like over 500 people uh, that are doing this round dance in, in the main lobby of the, around the food court or something like that in the, um, at the Gallery Mall. I guess that wasn't the food court. It's just a, like a main lobby. And, and look, we did this thing again 11 years ago today. So it was, it was in January. The crazy part is there has been um, there have been people who've gathered in the Galleria Mall to do Christmas carols before Christmas, and they were never um, accosted or told to leave the mall, um, even though lining stairways and uh, and and creating a large mob scene of Christmas carols that would arguably be every bit as disruptive as a small group of people seeing uh, you know beating on hand drums, doing, uh, singing songs and doing a round dance. But, um, uh, clearly we were treated differently. Uh, but I will, I will say though, even though some of the videos that were posted called the actions of the police an attack, um, I think we stopped, stopped them short of that. And I think it could have gone badly. Uh, it turns out they had a whole bunch of cars lined up in front of the mall. Uh, so they were prepared to make significant arrests over native people, Doing a round dance at a in a mall, but um, if you get a chance, if you're on social media, by all means, check out my Facebook pages and you can take a look at uh, at least one of the videos. And there's no great video of it. Actually, there was a pretty good video that was shot from overhead, um, but uh, for whatever reason, that's not not available anymore. But um, take a look at it. You'll see 
my exchange with the with the, the the head officer involved in trying to shut this down, and uh, and then I talked him out of it. So um, I guess my my point is that you can do that. You you can be confrontational, even a little physical. I mean, I don't I don't encourage it. I remember when my wife called me that night because she saw it all posted all over Facebook. She says, I can't believe you got, got a fight with a cop. I said, I didn't get a fight with a cop. I just stepped in front of him. She goes, well, it looked like there was a little bit of pushing and shoving going on. I said, no, there really wasn't. And, and then as I looked at the video, I said, well, geez, I guess there was a little bit of pushing and shoving. So anyway, you can get away with certain things. You just have to be, have the right demeanor to do it. And by, by no means, don't ball up your fists or, or certainly don't throw punches. Otherwise, you're going to jail. And this was on a Friday night 11 years ago. Uh, my wife was quick to remind me that you don't do things like this on a Friday night because you sit in jail until Monday. Words to live by. Words to live by. <laughs> okay, all right. Let me, uh, look, what I want to talk about is, um, as you all know, and for those of you who are watching this, um, this broadcast and watching the stream on Facebook, you see that I'm wearing my, my Arian's logo t-shirt with um, a popular American figure as the mascot for Team Aryans, um, and it's obviously sarcastic, and yes, the popular uh, image is, is Donald Trump, um, and, and the reason I'm wearing it is because I, I need to make a point. Look, there's a ban in New York State um, against Native mascots, and the deadline to get rid of them is this year. It's the, this, this school year, so the uh, the school year that ends in June. So schools right now are making the change. They're, they're holding their, their elections or their votes for what new mascot they're going to have. And the media here in Western New York has been covering it. And I know it's been a big issue in Long Island as well. Um, and look, if you listen to any of these broadcasts, whether it's in the newspaper or whether it's on television, it, on its face, these broadcasts may not seem to be racially biased. But let me explain what these broadcasts do. Because if you are only going to cover a school that is now making the change, and, and you say, look, such-and-such uh, such school district is uh, changing their Warriors logo to the, to the Red Hawks, and they're doing so because of a state manda mandate that was passed by the uh, New York State Department of Education. If you just say that, that sounds benign. But the problem is, we know the world that we live in in terms of, you know, the, the right wing and, you know, their, their claim to culture wars and wokeism and, you know, elite liberalism and all of that stuff. This lights a fire under a ton of people when you, when you just only say that. And here's the thing. Every one of these, um, these news outlets, whether it's a newspaper or whether it's a television, they post links to their broadcasts and, and to their articles on social media. So even if they don't have a whole big, long comment um, area on their websites or, or uh, you know, directly with the station, they're right there on Facebook. So if you look at any of those comments, immediately what you see is an attack on Kathy Hochul, who had nothing to do with this. Uh, attack on wokeism, an attack on nanny state stuff, and, and, and making it all part of the political culture wars that exist in, uh, in across the United States, but certainly in New York state. And the comments get more and more racist as they go along. But frankly, we're as native people, we're almost dismissed in the conversation because the claim by the right wing is that this is all done because of uh, liberal elitism. Uh, it's all liberal women 
you know, blue-haired cat lady women that are, <laughs> that are pushing this agenda just so they can feel like they've accomplished something. Like, we had nothing to do with any of this stuff. And that's the narrative that goes. Now, and I got to admit, there's a certain part of me that almost enjoys taking some of these more overt racists on in social media. And not because I'm trying to change them. I just want people to witness it. And sometimes if you engage, you can really get past some of their superficial comments and really get to the meat of the issue. And they demonstrate their, their blatant and overt racism in the, in the comments exchange. But again, I got to blame the media because here's the thing. Here's how the media could cover it. And if they were really responsible, they would be, they would be responsible. They would actually do journalism. They would tell the backstory. They wouldn't just say the state passed a mandate. And, of course, it wasn't passed through the state legislature. This was the New York State Department of Education. These are education professionals that, that considered all the evidence and, and uh, instituted this ban. Not a bunch of lawmakers that are, you know, caught into their, you know, partisan bickering over every goddamn thing. No, it is... These are, are professional educators that are involved in the New York State Board of Regents and the, uh, the Commissioner of Education. All of these people are educators first. That's how they got the job. Now, we can argue about whose administration that they, uh, they are sitting on this department under. And yes, New York State has had, a, has a Democratic governor for many years, but they haven't always had one. And so this is my point. The Commissioner of Education in 2001 told schools to get rid of the mascots. But what he said was, and this was Commissioner Mills in 2001, he said, do it in a time that's practical. And he said so because he wanted them to take the initiative beyond his order to make it happen. He also didn't want it to have any additional financial burden on the schools. And if they could phase out their uniforms or, or when they have to repaint their gym floor or, or whatever. Of course, now, you know, 20 years ago, Schools didn't have all this artificial turf with their insignias in the middle of it. So he told schools flat out in New York State, get rid of the mascots. He cited the research that was, that was available 20 years ago. He cited the will that Native people had expressed about wanting this stuff gone. Every nation in, uh, within the so-called you know, state boundaries, and certainly every Native organization like the NCAI and USED and you know, uh, Native American journalists, and so everybody had weighed in on this. So that's what Commissioner Mills said 20 years ago. And many schools got rid of it, but many didn't. And in fact, many doubled down on it and they expanded the use of their mascots. They plastered their walls with it even more. It's almost like they took it as a direct challenge to flip off uh, Commissioner Mills. But I have to remind people, who was the governor in 2001? It was a Republican. It was George Pataki. That's who was the governor when Richard Mills was the commissioner of education. So it was a Republican administration's education department that ordered the end to native mascots. And he said, do it in a time that's practical. He wasn't talking about 20 freaking years. And you know what? In the 20 years since the Republican administration's uh, commissioner said to get rid of it, it's been all Democrats in the, in the governor's mansion, and it's been oftentimes a very Democratic-controlled uh, state legislature. And we have had almost no movement. So, look, when I took on my old high school and then took that fight beyond the school board, which retired it, and then a new school board unretired it, and we took it up not to the legislature, we didn't sue them, we took it to the Department of Education because they have a bit of a, 
a, a process that is a little bit like, you know, like a legal process. It's like a hearing and you submit information and, and a ruling is cast. And Commissioner Rosa ag agreed with five families who had kids in that school district that the school board had acted arbitrarily and capriciously and had abused their discretionary authority when they unretired the mascot. In fact, they gave no reasons for it. Other than the fact that new, a couple of new school board members were seated who ran on a platform of bringing back, of, of securing the mascot. So they treated their, their election as some sort of community referendum. But when they retired the mascot, they gave the long laundry list, the same things that Richard Mills had cited 20 years ago. And they cited Richard Mills. They cited all of the reasons that there were to get rid of this, these mascots, citing all the research, citing all the child development experts, citing every nation that had, uh, had railed against this. But when they unretired it, they didn't do anything. So, so Rose, Dr. Betty Rose, the current commissioner of education, she sided with the, uh, with the five families who had filed a petition with the New York State Department of Education and told Cambridge, you must get rid of it. Well, that lit my fire because as soon as she did that, I says, all right, fine. I agree with you. But you know, if you can do it to, do it to one, you can do it to them all. The, and I said, the New York State Department of Education has been silent in 20 years since Richard Mills uh, issued his order. It's, in over 20 years, they haven't done a damn thing. Well, almost nothing. They did get the legislature to pass the Dignity for All Students Act, which these mascots are a clear violation of. They did institute... Uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion po programs, which almost cannot exist. In fact, every DEI uh, expert I talked to said, no, you, you really can't have racially stereotyped um, mascots representing a group of people coexist with, with any effective diversity, equity, and inclusion program. So, I mean, uh, so some things did happen over 20 years, but NYSED hasn't done much. So, when I started really beating up uh, Betty Rosa in the press and you know, letters to the editor and, and every uh, t time I got a chance to have an uh, interview on the news, I said, look, you can do it to one, you can do it to them all. And, and in fact, if you don't, what you're inviting is a piling on of families in every one of these school districts to file petitions with, with NYSED. You guys won't get a damn thing done. You'll be, you'll be backlogged with petition hearings. Lo and behold, Dr. Dr. Rosa agreed with me. And they issued a statewide ban. Dr. Rosa even invited me to sit on the Indigenous Mascots Ad, uh, Advisory Council, which was designed to, um, to help make rulings on schools that were going to try to plead their case, but also to put up the guardrails, the guidelines for how this ban was going to be implemented. I was, a, I was a part of that as well. But nobody in the media talks about the backstory. They don't say how many Native people have expressed they're concerned about this stuff. They don't talk about the nations. All they say is the state issued the ban and the schools are forced to change it. And that just invites this wave of right-wingers just, uh, you know, just expressing every right-wing talking point, everything from, you know, throwing a little critical race theory in there, wokeism, uh, cancel culture, um, liberal elitism. I mean, every bit of it. Oh, weak, weak people who are easily offended. And the crazy thing is, if you read any of these, these comments uh, on Facebook, they're the ones crying like a bunch of girls. I'm sorry, I don't even say that. They're crying like a bunch of babies, girl or boy. I mean, they're the ones that are just whining about having, I mean, <laughs> we even throw the Aunt Jemima and the, uh, the butter princess there <laughs> into the mix because 
white people feel like something's being taken from them. And it's, it's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. You know, I, oh, I'm, I was a uh, North Tonawanda chief um, or a, a Tonawanda chief uh, from the class of 72, and I'm still a chief. No, you're not. You're, you're a white person. You were never a chief. You were never a warrior or a redskin or a savage or a raider. You're white people that somehow, even having graduated in 1972 or 76 or 75, are still obsessed with this idea that you, that you are allowed, encouraged to, to take on this native identity as a part of your school culture. And look, don't talk to me about, well, there's nothing um, derogatory about a chief. No, I never said there was. I didn't say there was anything derogatory about a warrior. I don't think it's accurate. I mean, there are some uh, names like Redskin, which is a racial slur, or Savage, or you know, some of the other, even Raiders. I don't even get that. How, when did Native people become, especially in the East Coast, when did we get designated as the Raiders? I mean, I'm sorry, white folks. You guys were the Raiders. So, but don't even, don't even tell, you know, argue with me about whether the word or the image is disrespectful. It's the idea of using a people that you committed genocide for 500 years against, or in the case of the United States, 250 years, which continues today. It's the idea that a people that you, you so abused, you're now claiming you're honoring us by using us for your mascots? So your kids can put feathers in their hair and, you know, and play Indian as a part of their, their school culture? And not to mention the fact, and again, I gotta I got mention it, at the same time, while little white kids were playing Indian as a part of their school, Native kids were being ripped out of their families, out of their homes, out of their, their communities, and were beaten for trying to maintain a, nat a Native identity. But you see, none of that gets discussed. And I get it, I get it how, school, how news works, how the media works. But you could mention that the current Department of Education was following up on a, uh, on a Department of Education under the Pataki administration to take the politics out of it. See, this is why I press the issue with the Department of Education. I wanted to deal with, with education professionals, not politicians. I wouldn't ask Kathy Hochul for the time of day. And you know, I wouldn't ask the state legislature for it either. And if, and if they had any guts, they would back up the, the New York State Department of Education's ban with, by codifying in law. But you know what? There's been a bill that sat in that state legislature for 10 years that they didn't do a damn thing with. So the media doesn't tell the truth. Or when they do, they leave out so much truth that you just encourage this kind of culture war stuff to, uh, to just feed in a frenzy on social media. And I got to tell you, that just pisses me off. You know, because, you know, the crazy part is, the other thing that white people try to do is say that this isn't about Native people. That Native people, 9 out of 10 Native people love Native mascots. No, we don't. What I will say is that 9 out of 10 Native people hate it when white people say 9 out of 10 people think a certain way. That's one of the things that we hate. I was a big part of pushing this. But I did it utilizing every statement, every uh, resolution that came out of every nation in New York State and beyond. That's what I fed in the, in the fight against my school, Cambridge, New York. And that's what I cited every time I was trying to pressure Dr. Rosa to take this 
from beyond telling Cambridge to get rid of its mascot to telling every uh, every school to do it. So, you know, what's, what's been happening is, is various schools in uh, across the state are holding these these kind of, uh, you know, um, referendum on choosing new mascots. And they're choosing things like hawks and red hawks and timber wolves and, you know, bears. I mean, uh, you know, any, any number of things. But they're not allowed to use native imagery. And they, and they can't say, okay, we're going to keep the name warrior. We're going to change it to uh, a Trojan or a Roman. And no, you can't use the word chief and then say you're a fire chief now. No, you can't do that either. I was a part of that, um, that advisory council that said no to that kind of thing. So no, if your school had used a native mascot, regardless of what the word was, if it was a native mascot, native imagery, tied to a word that was connected to that native imagery, so whether it's chief, warrior, braves, whatever it is, it's got to go. And they're going. And you know what? Most schools, look, a lot of schools cooperated when, when Mills pushed this thing through 20 years ago. And he was challenged legally for it and, and was able to, to, you know, to sustain that challenge. But you know what? Many schools changed it, but many didn't. And like I said, many doubled down on it. But in this, in this climate right now, there are school boards who would have loved to have gotten rid of it. And I talked to some of them. I, I, I talked to many of them. I, I met with some of them. They would have loved to have gotten rid of it. But they were so concerned about the backlash in a community of, of ravenous white folks who just think that, they're, they're, that something's being taken from them that they were scared to. And, and in fact, Cambridge was a good example. They, they voted to get rid of it, and, and they voted out two of the board members and put in two pro-mascot, pro-native mascot board members. Lancaster is a school in, in Western New York tried to do the same thing. They, they, they tried to vote in board members that they could overturn what they, what they, their unanimous decision to get rid of the mascot. And they tried to suggest that, that we had nothing to do with it, that it's just... Again, liberals that have infused, you know, infiltrated their school boards. Let me tell you about the Lancaster fight. I was involved in that. I was asked to be, I was, I was asked by the school board to come in and, and educate them about the concerns that Native people have. I was a part of a group that did that. And, and I think we were effective. But you know what the most effective thing was? The kids in three school districts in western New York, one um, near the Tonawanda uh, Seneca Territory, uh, the school, the Akron School District, one in the Tuscarora uh, Territory, the, the Niagara Wheatfield School District, and one in Seneca Territory, Lakeshore School. Three of those schools, the students, the Native students first, pushed for a boycott in competing against Lancaster until they changed their, their mascot. Why? Because, frankly, the, the kids in Lancaster were, had developed a, a real racist uh, demeanor towards playing Native people, especially in sports like lacrosse. And our kids are pretty much better than the, their, their kids in lacrosse. But, and, but, you know, they would, they would be, you know, offer the derogatory comments. And, of course, they were the Lancaster Redskins. But the Native kids, with the support of their, of their non-Native teammates and their, their coaches and their parents and the school districts, they had three school districts had boycotted sports competition against Lancaster until they changed the mascot. Honestly, that may have had more effect than any of the work that I was doing. I know that that's what upset the, the superintendent out there and the school board, that they were being boycotted by other schools. 
for sports competition? And so within a matter of months, they voted unanimously and got rid of it. But that part of that issue, yes, there were Native, uh, Native people like myself and, and, and several others from, every, you know, from, from the Native program at UB, uh, some, some artisans. I mean, there were, there were a bunch of people who were involved in this committee that the, the school board had, uh, had assembled to educate them. But the school board didn't organize those kids in those three school districts. They did it completely on their own. So anytime I hear white people say, well, Native people didn't even, uh, aren't even opposed to this. It is, again, it's just this BS talking points that gets fed to them. And then they just keep rolling it along, saying it over and over again. And the media does nothing to balance that out to say, look, this ban was proposed. It was ordered, essentially, 20 years ago by Richard Mills during the Pataki administration and is now turned into a definitive ban today. And it had nothing to do with Kathy Hochul. She didn't approve this. She has nothing to do with the operation of the New York State Department of Education. And it, and it had nothing to do with Joe Biden. You know what? The, the federal administration, the national administration, education department has done nothing on the mascot issue. And in fact, I remember when Barack Obama was asked about the Washington football team and, and immediately after his statement, everybody said, oh, it's so great. Obama weighed in on the mascot issue. Let me paraphrase a little bit of what he said. He said, if I had a team and if that team had a name, in spite of its storied tr tradition and history that offended a significant number of people, I think about changing the name. Well, how many freaking hypotheticals can you put into one, uh, one sentence? I realize that's, that's Obama speak. But he never said that he was against it. He never said, for them that he said, if I had a team. And then he said, if a significant number of people were offended by it. So what's that significant number of people? Because if you're only talking about Native people, we're not a significant number compared to white folks. In fact, we're not a significant number compared to black folks, brown folks, or anybody else. We are the smallest population, even though we were the complete population of this land before white people showed up. We are the smallest population. Native people living on a Native territory and that's to be distinguished from Native people who live in the cities or, or people who claim their grandmother was a Cherokee princess or whatever else. Native people living on territories under Native governance and Native rules represent less than one-tenth of one percent of the U.S. population. So, you know, we're not a significant number. And you know what? The people who live on territory and who are more immer immersed in their culture. In fact, this is what Berkeley, a Berkeley poll had de uh, determined, that the more a Native person was immersed in their community, in their culture, and in, 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 their, in their families and that kind of stuff, in, as far as being Native, the more they opposed it. So all these polls are suggested because the Washington Redskins pushed an Annenberg poll that said nine out of 10 Natives uh, are fine with mascots. Well, it, it depends a little bit on how you, uh, you, know, how you word that, that that question. Because if you word it and say, how do you feel about white people mocking native people by using them as mascots? Trust me, you're going to get a different answer than you say, does the, uh, do, does the Kansas City Chiefs bother you? Yeah, you might get a few people to say, uh, you know, maybe even a significant number of people to say, no, it's all right. But when you talk about the fandemonium and you talk about people beating a drum and doing tomahawk chops and, and wearing red face and headdresses and football, you start asking Native people about that and you're going to get a different answer. But you see, you avoid all that stuff, right? So I'm pissed. I'm pissed because 
the media once again lights a firestorm um, in this culture wars. And then they throw this issue into that culture war. They feed that culture war argument with the native mascot issue. And, and frankly, we're not a part of your culture wars. We're just telling you to stop using us for mascots. It's that simple. So anyway, um, I wanted to mention that. We're, almost, we're just about the bottom of the hour. So let me remind people again that you're listening to this program perhaps on Facebook, maybe on the podcast, but on the radio, you're listening to it on WBAI in New York City and on WPFW in Washington, D.C. And if you are, if you're in either of those areas or anywhere for that matter, I wish that you would support these radio stations. Support these radio stations for carrying programs like this because I guarantee you're hearing stuff during my program that you're not going to hear anywhere else. The part of the reason I was such a prominent figure in this mascot issue is because I do the research. You know, I'm the one who will cite everything from racist comments from L. Frank Baum to, you know, to how, you know, to, to all of these other examples about how the mascot issue is harmful to Native people and to non-Native students. So I'm not just somebody, I don't sit on a tribal council. In fact, I was probably the only person on the New York State Department of Education's Indigenous Mascot Advisory Council who was not a tribal leader of some sort. And yet I was the most active. So, again, if you're listening to this program, you're going to hear things you don't hear anywhere else. So I wish that you would support the stations. Um, I'm going to go to some phone calls. Uh, let me give the number out right now. It's 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. Uh, while we're waiting to, for the phone lines to light up, let me just say that I want to congratulate, um, congratulate uh, Lily uh, Gladstone for winning the uh, Golden Globes for uh, uh, Best Female Actor uh, for Killers of the Flower Moon. As you, you may recall, I have my criticisms to the movie, but none of them were, was about Lily Gladstone. I think she's, uh, she did a fine job. And you have to understand that the directors, the producers, Scorsese and company, they decided what the demeanor of the, character, the characters were going to be, whether it was the De Niro character, the, the, the DiCaprio character, or whether it was Gladstone's character. She played the part, and, and I think she played it fine. And I don't think, I, I don't think they, they butchered her character in terms of the way Scorsese wanted the, the, the storyline to go. I think they, they did some things with the DiCaprio character I wasn't crazy about. I also think De Niro played uh, the villain in a very good way. I, think he, I th think he did a good job. And I'm not saying DiCaprio did a bad job acting. I just think that the way they tried to cast the story, giving him a conscience and making him feel bad about murdering people as he was murdering people was uh, a little bit hard for, for some of us to stomach. But uh, again, congratulations to Lily Gladstone. Look, and if you are native and you're, and you're glad she won it, do more than just be happy for her. Go out and see the film. I mean, one of the ways to support the actors, and, and, and Lily in particular, is by making sure you see her work. And she's, she has got a good body of work. There's a lot, there's a lot that she's done. So, uh, Reggie, do we have any uh, callers on the line yet? Not yet. All right, but, let me give uh, the number out. Uh, uh, let me give the number yeah. out one more time. 212-209-2877. I, I probably should remind people that I did a show yet last week almost entirely on the Gaza conflict. And I did get a few people who emailed me or messaged me in one way or another who, um, who thought that I was a little harsh on Israel, thought that I wasn't critical enough of Hamas. And look, I'm not a fan of Hamas. And I think Hamas did light a bit of a powder keg, but they only did it a couple of months ago. 
what Israel's been doing to Palestinians, they've been doing they've been doing for you know fifty years. So, um, yeah. Oh, so you got responses too, huh? Yeah. Oh, you must have got a few too, right? <laughs> oh, 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 yes, sir. Oh, yeah. yes, sir. I did. Yeah. I mean, yeah. No, nobody nobody threatened my life or anything, but uh, but no, I think there were, <laughs> I think there are people who, who like my show. Who thought that I was off base by being too critical of uh, of Israel in in yeah, this conflict? Yeah, I think that's what it comes down to. So I, I think you know, um, I think it was a respectful disagreement that we, that we had. But um, I gotta say that look, as as Israel stands trial now for genocide, um, you know the the difficulty is that this idea of trying to prove intent that you're committing these atrocities against the people because committing the atrocities isn't the genocide. You have to commit these atrocities with the intent to eliminate them. That's that's the definition, the international definition of genocide, with the intent to destroy, uh, you know, a people. And you know that's a little bit of a. I mean, because how do you define that? I mean, if you say no, we're we're, we're yeah, I know we're killing tens of thousands of, of Palestinians, but that doesn't mean we're trying to get rid of them. Wait, what? I mean, and then you say, but we're, we're only defending ourselves. And then, of course, you get Netanyahu up there saying, well, that's because um, Hamas is using all of their citizens for, for human shields, which I'm sorry, that just doesn't hold water either. Um, but I also had some people say that, you know, it's wrong for me to suggest that, that Native people uh, in this continent have experienced the longest running genocide in the history of the world. Because some of the folks who came at me said, well, Israelis have been persecuted for 3,000 years. In fact, they were run out of Israel multiple times. Wait a minute, I thought the Holocaust was just a Nazi thing. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, shame on me for, for not realizing that uh, apparently um, the Jewish people from Israel have been, been experiencing a 3,000-year genocide, which somehow resulted in them being supported internationally to form an, uh, a theocracy and a Jewish state in the, in the Middle East. I, I don't know, go figure. But anyway, um, so I, I, knew I, I knew I took the whole hour last week because I kind of I got pretty high up on my soapbox, I admit. Um, and, uh, and I thought that you know, some people would want to yell at me, and, and they found other ways to, you know, you know, to offer their, their critiques of what I said last week. So I, I say, I'm only saying this to remind people what I talked about last week and how I didn't get a chance to open up the phone lines then, but I do now. Again, the number is 212-209-2877. Okay, we got a caller. All right, let's go to our first caller. In, uh, let's do this. All right, caller, you're up first. What's your name and where you're calling from? It's Cruz from Central Harlem. I'm only going to give you praise because that's, that's what I do for people that stand up for the disenfranchised in society. So for those that sent you nasty letters, too bad, get over it. Um, I would like to suggest that BAI do a show with you and some other uh, people of color discussing so they could make the correlations across the board because sometimes we have hosts that are Latino they get schizophrenic. They start off the show similarly like you did last week, discussing and making the correlations of the plight of Latinos similar to Native Americans and how, you know, it's similar to Palestine's plight at this point that's being pointed out, you know, it's been going on for close to 100 years or maybe 100 years. Yes, that would be very good radio 
and educational. So then we understand who's who in the world of BAI. So that's my comment. And I love the show. And yes, you two make a wonderful pair when you get together. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And, and I love the idea of doing collaboration, especially with other producers, where some of our subject matter does cross each other a little bit or, or overlap. Because I think having different perspectives, talking about similar or even you know, uh, the same issue, um, I think is, is important. And, and whether we're talking about, you know, the, the, the black experience or the Latino experience or, you know, ranking, frankly, any of the Asian experiences, I think native people, I, I think our position sometimes or perspective might be a little different, but there's so much common ground. And I don't, I, this goes, goes to the thing that I always talk about Reggie, when I talk about siloing, we, we try to look at issues so narrowly, we don't understand how they correlate with other people. I mean, look, Harriet Tubman did not perfect her means of, of establishing the Underground Railroad without indigenous people helping her. I'm just going to say it. You know, it's not in the movie. Mm -hmm. It ain't in the film. No, she got divine intervention. God, God told her where to go, apparently. I would submit... That maybe it wasn't God. Maybe there's some native people yelling from the woods to her or something like that. I, I would su suggest that native people had a lot to do with helping not just Harriet, but a lot of the a, a lot of those enslaved people from escaping bondage in the South. And uh, but we don't even talk about that, you know. So I mean, I think there's a lot that we could talk about. So let me give the number out again. It's two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven. That's the number to call. Look. And I appreciate the praise. And I, and I didn't get nasty emails. I, I will say that. I had some people who didn't agree with me. And, and I think they were pretty polite about it. I, I don't want to suggest anybody beat me up. Like I said, I got no threats or anything else. Most people praised the show, but just thought I was a little bit uh, harsh. And, and, they, and they did. The, the thing that was specifically cited was that I didn't condemn Hamas. Look, whether it's Israel in their military or their citizenry committing atrocities against Palestinians, or whether it's Hamas or, or anybody else committing atrocities against um, civilians, I, I have a problem with that. I, I, the idea of killing people is not a good thing. And I think the idea of committing these, these acts of terror, and you can't just say that Hamas is a terrorist if you're not going to say that Netanyahu's not. And, and I remind people, George Washington is the one who was quoted in his letters to um, uh, uh, the Sullivan campaign, his order, saying, let those Senecas, let those people know the terror of their chastisement. That is literally, in the United States, the first documented use of terrorism as a, as a military strategy. So we'll just leave that there. Uh, any, anybody else on the phone line yet there, Reg? Oh, no, not yet. Not All right. yet. Um, well, well yeah, let the, me the keep going here. I got a few other things I could throw out in the, into the mix here. Um, I know you do. <laughs> um, look, there... <laughs> Disney <laughs> has um, stepped up, uh, in a way, on providing a platform for Native performers. They've got an animated, um, uh, and then we talked about this a little bit last week, Reggie. They, they've got this, um, this What If series associated with the MCU. I saw the, it. And, and look, in general, I had, didn't have a, I, I love the idea of the use of the Mohawk language. What I wasn't crazy about was swapping out the, the Spanish colonizers uh, or the French colonizers for Spanish colonizers in Mohawk territory. So 
I don't know. Was there anything else that jumped out at you? Well, I, I think that, you know, not knowing the language, I, I do, I did admire the flow, how the language was spoken. And it was spoken as if it was someone who have been speaking the language, looking at that, of course, the animation was really spectacular. Yep. Um, but also, um, uh, you, you know, because it's what if, and because what if is of a alternative universe, one could argue and they have. that, <laughs> yes, you, you know that, and, and I understand what you're saying. In this, in this realm of existence, it was the French. It was the English that was responsible for Our their shenanigans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, rather than the Spanish. So I, I guess the in this case, the script was flipped in this case because they were looking for the fountain of youth. And, um, I, I, you know, I thought it was an interesting story. I do understand why you this is a bug in your ear. Um, but, um, it's, it was interesting. It was very interesting. Well, and I'm not trying to let the Spanish colonizers off the hook. And in fact, I mean, they, oh, no. they, they, they certainly could, I know have, you're not. could have used Arawak instead of Mohawk. I mean, they, they could have really, really done a, a phenomenal job, uh, flipping again, flipping the script on the, on the, the Spanish colonizers failing. The reality is the French did fail to colonize uh, most of Mohawk territory anyway. I mean, the mm -hmm. English ended up coming, coming behind them and, uh, and doing what the French couldn't. So, but I think if, if the whole idea was, is going to be what if Native people uh, were able to repel colonization, that would have been, you know, uh, I just don't know that they had to. I guess to me, I couldn't help but think, was there a reason that the villains had to be Spanish-speaking in a, in, a, <laughs> in a world where... In a in a country where Spanish-speaking immigrants are so condemned, why did they make the villain in this Disney car cartoon Spanish-speaking? I, I that that yeah, rubbed me the wrong yeah, way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Although I did like, I forgot the name of the character, and I apologize for Cohort that. Cohorty. is that Mahorty? Yeah, Cohort and um, Cohorty, Cohorty, Cohorty. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Um, I liked how she and her people went to Spain. And she immediately adopted the Spanish language to tell them we ain't the, we ain't, we ain't the ones. And um, I, I kind of like that how those powers that were given immediately made her understand different languages. Yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. Well, she shows up in another episode where she's speaking you know, pretty much English. But uh, and of course now right, Dis right. now Disney also started this Echo series. Um, and I've yes, about this. Yes. Now, Echo. Um, this was a character that showed up in a couple of other um, episodes. Uh, I think both in of the uh, Hawkeye series, of Hawkeye, and I, maybe even even in the in the um, Daredevil uh, stuff. But but it, it, because it, it, and they has a, also has a common villain in the Kingpin character, which uh, mm -hmm. uh, so. But no, I, I don't think they managed the language issues as well. I think you could tell that the language didn't flow as well as the Mohawk speakers did in the in the animated uh, episodes. But okay. I, I still think it was pretty cool to, to see the, uh, the language being used in the way that it was. And, uh, and I, and I kind of like that series. And, 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 of course, it does end up having superpowers and stuff like that. Which, but that's, that's kind uh, of a, that's a know, Marvel hey. thing. These are superheroes, hey. right? <laughs> hey, it is superheroes. And speaking of that, we have two callers waiting. So, All right. Uh, let the, let's put these superheroes on the line. Caller, <laughs> you are up next. What's your name and where are you calling from? 
hello? This yeah, that, you're Mark it. Piqua. I got you. Um, yeah, well, I'm calling because, you know, um, I'm very disenfranchised by our mascot issue, and our superintendent put out some half-witted uh, response to the Native American community around us. What, which, uh, what, uh, what school district are you talking about? What school district? Uh, Massachusetts. Okay, district, all right. Oh, yeah. Yep. We decided to, after, you know, being told that they should not have the mascot, they decided to repaint another Native American head on as their, uh, on their basically sign to the community next to the building. And it was, it was a slap in the face. It was a slap in the face. And the moniker around town is once a chief, always a chief. And it's not. They were never chiefs. They're, they're less than. They're, they don't understand that um, their values are colonized values that have been, you know, hurting Native American peoples from the time we've landed here on this, on this, you know, on this island and this part of the world. And, uh, you know, I think I'm currently reading uh, The Empire of the sun, uh, Summer Moon and reading what happened to the Comanche people. It's, it, it is quite horrific. Yeah. And it's incredibly sad. And I think that places, especially in New York, need to do better in a place like Massapequa, which is so entrenched in conservative politics, needs to take a step forward and, uh, and move past it. Um, I am actually also uh, an alumni of the University of Hawaii. So I have, uh, I've, I've had the opportunity to take coursework and meet many Native Hawaiians and understand what happened to them. And it just seems like the story is the same here. And additionally, I am a teacher, and we teach fourth grade Native American um, lessons here. And it just seems like they are, they are a plastic version of what truly happened. And it's said that the children have to learn this plastic, fake version. Yeah, no, and I, I think you're you exactly right. I mean, and anybody who suggests getting rid of the mascots is somehow eliminating native culture in uh in schools is that's absurd um, for one thing most of the these the usages of mascots and the names associated with it are inaccurate they are stereotypical they also cast us as mere relics of the past they don't embrace us as a living breathing people that are still here they they teach the children that in fact there's a full you know 20 or 30 percent of the u.s population who don't know that native people are still exist at all. They think we're, we're, we're absolutely extinct. And part of that is that the only imagery they ever see of Native people is like 18th century imagery. And that's what all these mascots are. So, yeah, I, 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 didn't, uh, didn't they try to fire somebody for painting over that, uh, that one garage wall or something like that? So you're saying they repainted the mural? Ooh, yeah. They repainted the mural last year, and it was like a student-led initiative approved by approved by the district so it was but i think i think this fall i i think this fall it got painted over no i'm sorry you know uh, that's not even i'm sorry it's a different school district i'm thinking about the a a school district upstate a little farther where they kept um (laughs) yeah where they painted over a wall a mural um and then they wanted to fire the uh um, because i guess it was a, a teacher or a coach or something like that who uh, was a part of doing right. that. Well, so. you know, it's just, it's incredibly rich for the community to want to hold on to this moniker of the chief when it's, it's not theirs. Um, and just for them to try to commandeer it for all these years and then hold it so close to their chest. I yeah. think it's a plain conservative politics and it's, it's, it's incredibly lame. And, you know, 
uh, this, you know, Massapequa is a community full of, uh, you know, blue collar, a lot of it. And I believe that, you know, if they want it to be a chief, make it a fire chief. But at the same time, I, I, I think that that's. No, we we, pr- we pretty much well. eliminated trying to substitute another example of a chief, uh, so they can keep their name. Uh, but but I, I look, I I really appreciate right. the call. What I will say, the thing about these right wing communities is they still try to reduce this whole change, this forced change on liberal elitism. Like native people had no say in this thing, and I got to tell you, we've been fighting this thing for over fifty years. The reason that Richard Mills told schools to get rid of it 20 years ago was because of us. And the reason that Dr. Rosa pushed this, uh, this ban through and got it uh, put before the board of regents was again, because of us. Now I may have been a point person on this thing, but they have had years and years of statements and resolutions and letters and requests from every native organization across the country to get rid of this stuff. So anytime I hear, you know, these white folks saying, well, this is just, uh, you know, blue haired grannies with their, you know, uh, that are forcing their, their liberal agendas. Yeah. It's, it's just ridiculous. But look, I want to thank you for the call. Let's see if we can get one more call in Reggie. You said there was another person still on the line. Yep. 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 Uh, all right. Let's go ahead and get to another caller. Caller, you're up next. What's your name and where are you calling from? Uh, my name is Mitch. I'm calling from Brooklyn. Hey, Brixton. Thanks for calling. Uh, is, it, is it true that, uh, in the war between the states, the Confederate North and the South, it was a uh, 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 Indian tribe was the last tri- was the last regiment to surrender in Florida, and they were known as the most fierce fighters. Well, it wasn't even the Civil uh, War. It, it wasn't even the Civil War. The, the Seminoles actually, the United States was r- waging war against the uh, the Seminoles, and basically they never submitted. In fact, the the United States just quit. So it's actually considered. I mean, nobody surrendered. The United States didn't surrender to the Seminoles, and the Seminoles didn't uh, surrender to, to the United States. But it was one of those wars that the United States simply could not win. And i got to remind people that the Seminoles were a, a mixture of an amalgamation of Native people, um, uh, runaway slaves. Uh, so they had developed such a keen sense of survival in a relatively harsh environment that, um, that that's how they were able to you know, put up such resistance. And and it wasn't just that they were res- resisting this incursion. They were, they were, they were actually take, uh, making the United States take some serious losses in their attempt to, uh, to take. So, but this was a separate thing from the, from the Civil War. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, well also, is it true that uh, there are some uh, people of African-American descent, descent that was uh, put out of a tribe because they couldn't, document they were they were Cherokee yeah there was a whole art um, a, a whole debacle with the, especially with the Cherokee who and the Cherokee were among one of the the nations that uh, that actually had had taken on slaves and when they were forced to leave their homelands in the in Georgia and the Carolinas and they were forced out to go to Oklahoma they they had freed their the the their enslaved uh, uh, people and and they were called freedmen. But after a period of time, you know, racism starts creeping into, uh, into uh, Cherokee politics, and they started disenrolling some of the people who may have had more, um, perhaps either a stronger Af- uh, you know, black ancestry than native ancestry, even though 
they had, you know, they essentially had been welcomed in at one point. So yeah, it got ugly and, and it still is a bit of a problem. And, and I, but I think the freedmen are getting, um, getting some justice out of this thing, but it, it's hard because where do you, where do you try such a thing? I mean, how do you hold, bring a nation into a U.S. court to, you know, to fight over who's legitimately their, their citizenry? It's, it's a, it's an ugly, you know, process. And, and, you know, the thing about the Cherokee is, the reason they had taken on slaves was because they they were assimilated in the East and they were having very very good success as uh, and that's why the white people drove them out and drove them out with their uh, you know with their enslaved uh, you know servants and that kind of stuff. But um, but yeah, that's a kind of an ugly part of the the history for especially for the Cherokee, more so the Cherokee who had been driven to Oklahoma than the Cherokee that still remained in their ancestral homelands. So, all right. Uh, look, I want I want thanks for the call. Thanks for the question, Reggie. I want to thank you. Thank you for managing the calls and, uh, and for always uh, being a part of the conversation. Um, I, I think we're on next week, um, so let's do it again. I look forward to speaking with some of you and and hearing some of you speak as well. And uh, we'll keep going. But uh, but do follow the news and and please be critical of the media when you know that they are leaving major portions of a story out. Just you know, just so they can rile up the public, I, I just think that that's just the wrong. That's not what the news is for, and and that's what what it's become. So, um, and you know, and NPR is as guilty as any of the other mainstream media. So, you know, let's let's be sure to hold them accountable as well. I'm John Kane. This is Resistance Radio. I want to thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Yahweh.